in the book, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And if you're visiting here for the first time, welcome. Uh, I'm going to say this often, so church members, you'll hear this a lot, but we have a pew Bible in front of you or behind you. You're welcome to turn to page 980, and we will be there. Uh, if you do not have a Bible or aren't familiar with the Bible, feel free to take that with you as a gift from us to you, and we will be happy to have you do that. Chapter numbers are the big numbers, and uh, the small numbers are the verse numbers. And one more commercial before we get started. There's a, Judy and I have come up, Judy made this great sign. Uh, we're going to uh, get another one, I think, but a quick sign out there. It's a little question mark on a box outside. I don't know if you, any of you noticed that when you came in. Uh, we are having you ask questions about the Bible, things you may not want to ask in public or things you may want to, you just never have. If you have a question, a Bible question about theology, Jesus, God, there's a little piece of paper out there. Feel free to write it down, drop it in there, and we will answer that question on our website, towerviewkc.com. If you want to email us the question or call the question, great. But this is a great way that you may have a question someone else had, and uh, it may help them. And no, I do not know if the Royals are going to win the World Series before you get there. And I don't know if you're going to win the lottery, but uh, that's a whole other sermon about why you shouldn't do that anyway. But uh, <laughs> prayerfully, we'll get there at some point. But for Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And let me just say this. We, if you are on Facebook or social media, if you want to ever share anything that we post, there's a share button on our page. If you see something you like, share that with your friends. Do you realize that the greatest influence, if you're on Facebook or social media, you have you can reach thousands of people by a simple click of a mouse. So let me say, I don't know how to reach my friends. If you're on Facebook or social media and you want to share something we have, feel free to share that. That is open game, open game for you. Well, also something that was open game recently, uh, I don't know if you were into distance running. I'm sure a lot of you just love to run marathons. Amen? Does anyone like that? Yeah, Jesse, I'm looking at you, wherever Jesse Shea's at over here. He went to the bathroom. But if you're into running, there's one thing you learn about running very quickly. It's that Americans are not that great at it. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. But Americans are not that great at running. In fact, the best running country comes, they hail from the group of Kenya. And about 10 years ago, or almost 15 years ago now, one of the world's famous uh, runners, Bernard Lagat, uh, was asked the question. He said, well, how do you get motivated and how do you do so well as runners in Kenya? We want to know your secret. And uh, if you, Amy, if you want to go ahead and throw this up, he said, it's all about the road signs. It says, and every road in Kenya, beware of the lions. That's why we run fast, amen? And so some of you need to get a lion behind you, and maybe you'll run or walk faster, however that works. But maybe you can relate more to this story for motivation. Well, winning has turned to bull this last February. Uh, Fred turned to his wife and said, I've got to lose some weight. And his wife was so excited, she, and he said, you're finally going to do what the doctor told you to do? And he said, yes, honey, I'm going to do that. She said, are you doing it for me? No. Are you doing it for your health? No. I'm doing it because my fingers are getting too big to fit in my favorite bowling ball. And so <laughs> we all get motivated different ways, don't we? We really do. We all get motivated different ways. And it's been said if motivation was easy, everyone would be successful at it. I mean, think about a world where everyone's highly motivated to be the best they can be or achieve the goals they've always wanted to achieve. There's no procrastinators, no slackers, no goof-offs. Well, you don't live in that world, do you? Maybe you do. Maybe you're a perfect student. Maybe you're a perfect mom. You have all the things lined out, a perfect grandparent. But if you're like most of us, 
you've started something and haven't finished it. Is anyone doing their weight loss from January 1st still? If you are, great. Running five miles a day, wonderful. Whatever it is. But friends, we often don't do things in life because we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of envy. We're afraid that we won't be motivated. And sometimes we're often not motivated because we're afraid of success. But we live in a world that is driven by all these things. But what motivated Paul? Have you ever thought about this before? Despite being beaten, despite having shipwrecks, despite having every bad thing that could happen to a person being a Christian, Paul had this to say. He said his motivating factor wasn't lions or weight loss or New Year's resolutions. His motivating factor was this simple phrase, 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. We do not obey according to Paul, because it's good or wise. We obey Jesus Christ because he shed his own blood for your soul. Friends, the motivating factor in the Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. He becomes the center of our universe, the greatest thing that's ever happened, the purpose, the goal, and the motivation by which we do absolutely everything in the Christian life. And as we continue through this letter of Paul, we're going to see a motivating factor that comes up for the Philippians. And the questions we need to answer today is, what is our correct motivation as church members? It's Christ, but what else? How do we keep that motivation so five years from now that we are pursuing Jesus at a deeper level than we ever have before? And how does our motivation for Christ play out in the body of Christ, the church, the local church? Well, the one takeaway I told you last week, we're going to have this one summary statement you can pin the sermon on, and it's this this week. It's that healthy church members want to get better at following Jesus. Not for their pride, but for God's name's sake. Healthy church members want to get better at knowing Jesus. Friends, if Jesus isn't enough to motivate us to live a godly life, then we may not know Jesus Christ. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? But think about it. Christ has given you his life. He's given you his all. He's given you everything. And the gospel is key to living out that sacrificial living. And so today, we're going to look at two signs of a healthy church member. Two signs of a healthy church member. Last week, we talked about having a thankful heart from verse 3 of Philippians 1. We talked about in verse 4, having a joyful spirit. And verse 5, we talked about having a gospel focus. But this week, I want to show you two. First is a certain hope. A certain hope. What motivates you to stay the course for Jesus Christ? It's a certain hope. Mark, thank you for, for leading us in that song and, and leading us in worship. And it, Mark has done a great job leading the team. We're grateful for you filling in for Josh. Thank you for that. And the second thing is, is an affectionate love. Does your love for Christ and the love for everyone in the body of Christ show forth with how you know him? Well, friends, with that, I want to have you stand with me together as we read God's word this morning. What motivates you to be a healthy church member? What motivates you to be the best you can be? Is it lions? Is it weight loss? Those aren't bad things if you're being chased by a lion, amen? But today, it's Jesus Christ, and he's who we're here to proclaim. Let's read verses 6 through 8 of Philippians chapter 1, 6 through 8. Paul says this, And I'm sure of this, and I'm reading out of the ESV, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus, depending on your translation. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart 
For you all, all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul is 800 miles away, locked away in a, a Roman jail. This is the one church that he feels the need to pour into among all other churches. They supported him financially. They supported him on so many levels among any other church, bigger than any church than we know. But he still says, I pray these two things for you, that you have a certain hope and you have an affectionate love one to another for what Christ has done for you. Let's go for the Lord in prayer and we will kick it off this morning. Father, we are so, so grateful for your word, Father, because Lord, if the word isn't here, what do we have except just a book? But Father, this isn't just any book, it's your book. It's the God-inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And by that, every matter of faith and practice we have here is done accordance to the Word. Father, we pray for motivation, not just to, to stay the course for a day, but we pray that your Son would motivate us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ every day. Thank you for each member here, Lord, and we pray for any unspoken requests to your honor and to your glory. Would you work those out? And we know you will, Lord. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you very much. Well, the first thing that you see, again, is, is Paul starts out here with a certain hope. A certain hope. Paul was convinced that these people were genuine Christians. And folks, we live in a day where there are people who claim the name of Christ, but who walk completely different from that. But Paul makes a prayer for them that you can only pray for someone who knows Christ. Did you see the phrase that he used there in, in verse 6? He says that he's confident of them. And I'm going to give you three things that God does in your salvation. Three things about as a healthy church member, you should know or be reminded of about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. So let's start with the first one. We have a certain hope because God sovereignly starts our salvation. God sovereignly starts our salvation. He's confident because he knows what God will do in their lives. If you look back at verse 3, if you remember last week, we saw that phrase, my God. What Paul is saying here is that the he is God the Father. And it's not as though the Philippians had any hand in their salvation. What Paul knows is that it is God who began it. He, God, who began a work in you. And as Baptists, we believe in what is called, I'm going to throw out a big word at you, but it's good to know big words because you can impress your friends, and that's a good thing, but it's called monergism. We believe as Baptists that it is God himself who saves us. Amen? We do not believe that we bring anything to the table. We do not believe that we have any hand in our salvation. We believe that it is God and God alone who starts salvation, who calls a person out, gives them the faith to respond, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and gives them the ability to repent and believe. Because friends, outside of Jesus Christ, what are we? We are dead in our sin dead in our trespasses, and dead to God. But in Christ, in God, we have a work. And let it be known that it is God and God alone who saved you. For you did not put any 1% of any end to your salvation. It is God alone. And that's what Paul prays for them, to have that certain hope. Well, what is this word work he talks about here? He says, he who began a good work in you. Well, if you remember back in Acts chapter 16, God had opened the heart of Lydia of Bob, uh, we call him Bob, we don't know his name, the jailer, blue-collar Bob, and a slave girl. Acts chapter 16, verse 14 says this, the Lord opened their hearts. 
the Lord opened their hearts. A lot of times people will say, well, I, I really sought after God. Well, Romans 3 says, none seek after God, no, not even one. Friends, it is a movement of God that begins in salvation. There's nothing more, nothing less. It starts with God. But what Paul says here is they found their way into the kingdom of God because it is God who began the work in you. Aren't you thankful that you yourself had nothing to do with your salvation? Do you ever think about this? If you could find your way to God, you could find your way away from God. Amen? But if God found you, and he did if you're a Christian, you are locked in, and we'll get there in just a minute. But he says that phrase, in you. What does this mean? If I can use the phrase, it was an inside job. God performed in the depth of their souls. It wasn't some surface-level decision that they made. It wasn't a prayer at the altar. It wasn't repeating a mantra over and over and over. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that brought them to know Jesus Christ. You know, as a preacher, I can only do a certain thing. A lot of you all think, this is the best job in the world. He gets up for 30 minutes on a Sunday, and man, he's off the rest of the week. Wouldn't that be a wonderful job? You know that's not true. But friends, as a preacher, as you as a Christian, you have to know that when you share the gospel with someone, you can only take that so far. You can't twist someone's arm. You can't beat them into submission. You can't make them believe. God himself must open their heart to believe the message of Jesus Christ. God must take it from the ear to the heart, and that is something that only God can do. That is something only God can do. But you know what Paul was confident of? That God was going to finish that work that he began it in his life. Second thing I want you to see is that God not only sovereignly starts our salvation, that's why we have a certain hope, but he sustains our salvation to the end. It there, in the, if you have your translation uh, in, in verse 6, it says, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it. What is the it there? Favorite word of kids, it means anything under the sun. But in this instance, it means salvation. God started it, he's going to finish it. Do you see that word perfect there? How many of you have the word perfect or something like it in your translations? A few hands go up. He will complete it at the day. He will perfect it. Friends, I don't know about you, but how many diets have we gone on? And, I, and believe it or not, I used to wrestle. I had to make weight every Friday night when I was in junior high. I had to go on diets at times. How many New Year's resolutions have you started? How many, how many of you have hobbies in your house that you have started that is down in the basement covered with dust? Anybody? few hands. Diana, you're, you're saying that. How many of you have started a class and have said, I'm done with this class, or you started studying something, and, I, and life hit you, and you got busy, and we've all done that. But friends, I want to tell you something. God is not like man. He doesn't start on a project and say, oh, look at that over there. Have you ever seen the movie Up before? You know there's a guy in there that says, squirrel, squirrel, hey, squirrel. He looks around, it's a, it's a dog, but he talks like a guy, Adam, you're right. Friends, we might do it now and then where we start something, but when God starts something, he takes it to the end. That should be the greatest hope for us as church members. You may look around the congregation and say, there's no hope for that guy. Well, there might not be much hope for this guy either if it weren't for the fact that God sovereignly starts and finishes it up. God isn't interrupted. He doesn't give it up. He doesn't allow a project to go unfinished. The God who began a good work in the Philippians, Paul speaks with confidence because he knows that God will do the work. 
you ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not where I want to be with Christ, it's a good place to be. Because that means God's not finished with you. But friends, you've got to be in the scriptures. We have to be praying. We have to be evangelizing. We have to do all those things because God is working. But it's not just one of those let go and let God things. We are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling because that is how we grow in Jesus Christ. That's how we grow in Jesus Christ. So we know God starts salvation sovereignly. He sustains it. What else does he do? He secures it. Secures it. Look at that phrase there, the day of Christ Jesus. The end of the age is when Jesus will come back. We know that. Right now, you could say it's the devil's age. God is sovereign. Satan can do nothing unless God allows him to. See Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. But under the sovereign hand of God, Satan reigns with terror on earth. And a blind man can look around at the news, so to speak, and see that this is a sinful and dark generation. Friends, Satan is a roaring lion. He's waiting for someone to devour. Paul said in Ephesians that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is the devil's day to some degree. And we are islands of truth surrounded by oceans of darkness. You feel that way sometimes? When you go to work and your family, some of you have your only Christian family. But Christ's day is coming, church. The day of Christ Jesus will be when he takes over. The kingdoms of this world will be bowing down at his feet because he is a sovereign rule over all, and he will reign forever. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way. He said, there are only two days on my calendar, this day today and that day that's coming. Is that how you look at your work week this week when you go to work? And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. James Montgomery Boyce, the great uh, expositor out of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, said this. He said, Philippians 1.6 is one of the three greatest verses in the Bible that teach the doctrine of security of the saints. The doctrine that no one whom God has brought to his saving knowledge will ever be lost. Friends, it's not just a Baptist thing. This isn't just something that we make up. If you are a Christian, you are secure in Christ because Christ died for you. If you are a Christian, you can no more lose your salvation than you can earn your salvation. If you are a Christian, you are secure till the day of that point. Friends, I'm not just being dogmatic about this. I'm being bulldogmatic about this because the Bible is bulldogmatic about this. Anyone who thinks you can lose your salvation is reading the Bible upside down, inside out, upwards, backwards in a dark room with blinders over their eyes. Why do I say that? Romans 8, 38. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What confidence we should have in our lives of a certain hope that we have, that we are true believers and will reach that state of eternity. There was a story that was told by a young, a young graduate. I'm looking at a couple graduates down here, Megan and, uh, and Cameron. And he said, upon graduation, the pastor asked him, he said, well, what career are you planning to do? And being a smart young man, he said two words. He said, I want to be a doctor and a lawyer. Think about this. And the confused minister looked at him and said, why would you do that? Because in case I'm a lousy doctor, I need to be a good lawyer. <laughs> Friends, we don't have that back. God doesn't have plan B. The fall of man when Genesis happened and Adam's sin was not some, oh, what do I do now? God was not surprised by that. 
Friends, God does not wake up if he never slumbers or sleeps. God doesn't wake up and say, well, you're doing this today. What? Whoa, that wasn't part of the plan. What do I do tomorrow? God has a set sovereign plan that we are to fill out. What a certain hope that is for church members. You know what? Churches may go up and down through ebbs and flows, but all we need to know is that the Lord is faithful. Amen? That's why we don't tailor our church services to those who have no love for God. That is a certain way to kill your church, to be quite honest with you. A healthy church with healthy church members is less about the place and a look of a certain way than it is more about us as a congregation being right before a holy God because he's the one who started, continues, and secures our salvation. And the fight of faith in every church member and every pastor is do we trust the word of God to do the work of God? Do we trust the word of God to do the work of God? Signing up for Team Jesus doesn't make your life easier. Let me just say that. If you're a Joel Osteen fan, he can smile all day, but friends, this life is going to hit some bumps. But if you're in Christ, you can be joyful, you can be secure, you can be eternal, but it's not going to be easier. But do you know what Paul promises us? If you're a church member and you've said, man, I, I just don't see the holiness in my life I'd like, he is faithful who began a work in you. If you're a believer here this morning, is there a time of hopelessness where you would go, who do you go to? Youth usually go to their friends. They text, they Facebook, they do that sort of thing. Do you go to your friends more than you go to God? It is God's grace that makes this plan certain to you. You can trust him. Our helplessness is the door to our complete trust in God. You can turn to any book of the Bible, and you know what the two words of that book are? Trust me. I don't care if you're in Leviticus with all those laws. We can say that bad things happen but when they do, we can be recalled that God is faithful and he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. Friends, let me say this. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you were to stop trying, if we were to stop trying to get you to follow us, what I would say is this, follow Jesus Christ. He's the one that won't fail you. As a pastor at times, I will fail you. I'm a human. At times as a church member, you will fail me. But do you know what our certain hope is? It's that Christ is working through our lives. Amen? Church, if you've fallen off the bandwagon, maybe you started that Bible reading program in January and you're a few weeks behind, can I encourage you this morning to keep that up? Maybe you started a prayer for people and you said, I'm going to pray for you and you've gotten off that track. Can I encourage you with a certain hope that as a healthy church member, stay on that track. Stay on that track. But if you're not a Christian here today, the biggest hope I can give you is Jesus Christ. He is the one whom we have a certain hope. Second thing is this. How does a healthy church member go forward? We're supposed to have a thankful heart, joyful spirit, a gospel focus, and then that, that uh, certain hope, but notice secondly, an affectionate love. Got your Bible still open? Look back at verse 7 and 8 with me. Paul says this. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and the defense of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. Man, Paul could not be more affectionate to any church than what he's doing right now. When he uses that word right or it's right for me to feel this way, it means it's proper, it's appropriate. Moms, hopefully you felt that love last week when your uh, sons or daughters or grandkids or whatever it may be did that. Paul's basically saying it would be inappropriate for me as, as your founding pastor not to feel this way about you. And what we know is that church members, church pastors should have an affectionate love for one another. Paul was a towering theologian, 
probably the greatest mind outside of, uh, of Solomon and obviously Christ himself being God. But at the same time, he was a great man of feeling and love. Friends, if you're here today and it's all about the facts in your head, don't forget that the love from those facts that you study should come out of a love that's an affectionate love towards God and towards others. He says that word feel. Guys, we hate this word, don't we? I think, I, I believe, but guys struggle. I struggle with this word. I feel. Do you notice what he said? It's more than a mental disposition. His thoughts are on these people. He's praying for them that they would know Christ better. He would know and get better at knowing Jesus, that they would love him so much. That word all there is used four times. And a good note for your Bible study, if you see a word used a lot of times, like when my wife tells me to do the same thing five times, what should I be doing? I should be listening up, amen? And that's the case. All, 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 all. He said, I have you in my heart. What I want you to see is this. God isn't stuck with you. God chose you. God doesn't tolerate you. He lavishes affection on you. Friends, we believe that God is a God of wrath as much as he's a God of love. A God of mercy as much as he's a God of justice. But, and, and all those things. But in Christ, the final payment was made. And so Paul can look at them and say, I have you in my heart. And it's not just this hope flippant thing like it might happen. He knows the source. Verse 6. The source of his love comes from the ever, never changing God and his foundational love for his saints. Friends, he wrote, he's imprisoned four times in this lover. He doesn't even see him. But he trusts that God is with them. He trusts that God is with them. Richard Sibbs, one of the old dead guys from many, many years go, gone by, said it this way. He said, our action should follow our affection. Our action should follow our affection. Paul uses this phrase here, partakers of grace. And friends, there is no greater partnership you can have than to be a partaker of grace with someone else in this life. If you are a Christian in this world, you are a Christian with people in Africa people in Asia, people in Northeast Kansas City, Independence, Blue Springs, because we have one hope, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul uses this word, if you remember, if you look back at verse 5, he uses this word participation or partnership back in verse 5. And what it means is that we have fellowship with each other in a joint venture. And that joint venture is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Are you praying for this neighborhood? Are you praying for your coworker that you work with that, man, he drives you nuts? Are you praying for your boss who says one thing and goes around and does the exact opposite? We've all been there. Are you praying for your spouse uh, if they may not know Christ or your kids? What Paul knew is that if they're truly in Christ, that they would walk a certain way. And friends, what I want you to say is this. What I want to say to you is this. We hold common convictions around the word of God. But this church is going to be very unique. There are going to be some who come from white-collar jobs, blue-collar jobs. There are going to be some who, who are older. There are going to be some who are younger, some who are married, divorced, widowed, widower. But the one thing binds us together, and that is Jesus Christ. Some of you have lost jobs for what you believe. Some of you have lost friends for the convictions that you have, hold. Some of you have been estranged from the family members that you have in your family. Why? Because of that thing up on the screen. Because you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, has given his life for you, and you've been willing to stand upon it. And we've all had to pay that price at some point. 
And you know what that does? If you've ever been on something really tough and you go through a, a tough experience, what does that do to a group? It brings them closer together, doesn't it? It should bring them closer together. Church, you have been brought from the depths of sin to the height of heaven because the God who shouldn't have saved us reached out sovereignly and said, I want you. Not because of anything good in you, because Romans 3 tells us nothing good resides in us. But Paul can pray this church at Philippians that every church member would have an affectionate love one to another, not because they all like the same sports team, not because they all dress the same, talk the same, act the same, but they all have the same God. Amen? Friends, it's like a quarterback saying to his, his linemen and his running backs and wide receivers, we've been out on the field, we've been bloodied, we've been bruised together, exhausted together, we've been teammates together, and been running the same end zone together. Guys, let's keep going forward. No wonder they feel so close. Paul can look at these people and say he's like a quarterback in the huddle telling, look, I'm 800 miles away, but I care for you so much. I'm praying for you. I desire my life. If I could break these chains and come and give you the biggest bear hug ever and pray over you, I would do it. That's where Paul's love is. And he, you, know, you see what he did in verse 8, guys? He calls God as his witness. You don't just call anyone into witness. It's like when two siblings start fighting together, well, often what happens? One of them calls on the secret name of mom, right? Mom! Scarlet, and my son would say this as he talks, Scarlet is playing with my trains. Mom, he hit me. Mom! You all have been there, right? You know what I'm talking about? Just last, just last yeah, just last night, amen. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. But friends, what you need to know is this word here, he's calling on God to witness to these Philippians that he cares so much for them. He longs for them to know that God is their God. He doesn't just call on God flippantly like, God, you're my God. He calls on God to say, Lord, I want you to, to tell them, show them how much I love them from afar. What a challenge that is for us. As we talk to each other, as we pray for each other, as we meet as, as Sunday school teachers, as deacons, as, as staff, at whatever we do as preschool, as Awana, is our love for each other so apparent that we would call God as our witness to say, Lord, search my heart because my love for this person is there. Church, that's a church that's focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you want to know something, you've seen it up on the screen, but the strongest faith, and some of you walk so strong and may God continue to fuel that flame, but the strongest faith in this congregation has the same Christ as the weakest faith. Did you catch that? If you are walking like the Apostle Paul, and I pray that someday we can walk in holiness like that, if you are struggling in your faith, what a gospel-centered church and a healthy church member does is they come alongside and say, you know what? I'm calling on God as my witness that I care for you. Maybe it's praying for them. That's a great thing. Maybe it's going to their house, giving them a meal. Maybe it's taking time to listen to them. I don't know. But maybe God has put someone in your life today where you need to say, Lord, I need to have that affection for others in this church. You say, I don't have that. Darren, I don't have that type of affection. Well, here's the type of affection it is. The word for affection here literally means his bowels. If you want to say it this way, he has a spiritual bowel holy movement in a good way for the love that he has for them. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But the word speaks of literally, you're moved inside so much. It's not bad heartburn. It's not you ate something, it's, you love someone 
Jesus Christ so much that your love for everyone else just oozes out of you because that is the love that they have. The love that they have. Paul has loved these Christians like Christ loved them. He humbled himself to serve their best interest. You know, many of you have heard of Pompeii before, the, the Greek city of Pompeii. Sad, sad story. Uh, a couple thousand years ago in the Greek uh, mountains, uh, it erupted. They saw it erupting, and the lava came down, and, and the rich people got out of town and left, uh, left the poor people. There's a story, though, in that evacuation about a mother's love for her child. When the city was buried by that volcano 2,000 years ago, the lava literally encased people. Literally, they were encased, and in the same position they died is how they were. You're seeing that right now. This lady that evidently was of noble birth could have escaped the horrible death. She could have gotten out of Dodge before things got really bad. But she chose to stay. She's on the right, and her son is in the middle of the picture. She chose to stay with her invalid, handicapped son. And when that earth came on there, what we know from the picture is that somehow she tried to cover him up so that he might not be hurt. And centuries later, they unearthed this, and by her own choosing of death over life, she was a lasting example of unselfish, sacrificial love. Isn't that an amazing story? It should bring tears to your eyes to think about that parent to a child. But friends, even later, the affection that Paul is praying about in this letter is an affection even greater than the love of a mother to his ch- her child. The affection that Paul is praying for this church, and if you're a church member here that we should have for one another, is such an affection of what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Greater love hath no man than that he, what? Lay down his life for his friends. Now let's be contextual. That does not mean that we go and sacrifice our lives. It may mean that, but Christ was speaking first of his own death. He laid down his life for his friends, the disciples, and all believers. But what will it take for us to pray, Lord, give me the affection for that person who sits next to me in a pew. I may not know their name, but Lord, grow that affection for me. Lord, I want to do this in this church right now, and, and Darren keeps saying, be patient, be patient, be patient. Give me an affection to love that pastor even when I'm ready to go 100 miles an hour and he wants to go 25 in the slow lane. Father, give us affection one to another. Lord, pray that we would grow in that affection one to another. Some of you come from homes where your spouse is not a believer. You have a love for them, no doubt. But the Paul's prayer here is that this is the greatest prayer that you can have. Husbands, can I ask you to pray this for your wives? Do you need to have that love rekindled that you had at the altar day? You know, Josh got married yesterday. Isn't that a praise? He finally got some, some direction in his life in a good way. I know, I know Christina's going to set him straight. I'm just kidding. Uh, Josh, we love him dearly. But you pray for Josh. Pray for young married people. They would have an affection for their wives, wives to their husbands, children to parents, parents to children, grandparents to children. But more so pray that we would have this affection to one another in the body of Christ. So easy to say, so easy to pray, so easy to stand up here and preach it, talk about it. Well, that's all you did in your study this week. Guys, this is a life-changing prayer. Tower View Baptist Church has had a lot of history, a lot of great godly history. If we want to see that grow deeper and wider, we have to pray that God would do such a work in our hearts individually that when we come together corporately, we are more and more unified, more and more unified. 
We come from a diversity of backgrounds, different geographies, different homes. But together, if we know Christ, we are united in that one thing. But maybe you are a Christian here today and you're struggling. You are a struggling Christian. Can I just say these words to you today? In Christ, God not only loves you, if I can use the Facebook term, he likes you. We are objects of his affection. Wow. If you've ever seen a kid get a look from their mom or their dad and they come home and they just show that affection to him, what does that do to that kid's world? Whew. Changes everything, doesn't it? Maybe you need to show affection one to another in this congregation to someone. I don't know, but take that as it is. But every affection set upon this world is a betrayal of Christ. Are your eyes on Christ? Even if you're struggling, a lot of pastors will say, well, don't go to church. If you're struggling, you don't believe the things they believe, well, don't go. Friend, let me tell you, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. If you are a Christian, you attend, you pray for a soft heart, you ask God to re-energize those batteries because whose batteries are they? They are God's. And if God's going to be the one to start it, he's going to sustain it, he's going to continue it. If you are struggling in your faith, you cry out to God. There are going to be questions that you have. There are going to be hard times as a Christian. You're going to look up and say, I just don't understand how this happened and God can still be God. It's okay to be mad. But what you do with that madness is you take it to God and you say, Lord, I don't understand, but Lord, help me to trust you. Father, I don't understand why, why so many people have lost their lives in earthquakes in Nepal. Lord, you're sovereign. Why, Lord, did this happen? Lord, I know we live in a sinful world. But what I would encourage you to do, if you are struggling with questions, come talk to your deacons, to John, to Lorne. Uh, I'm probably going to miss the names here. Brian, Don, Richard, Steve. I'm missing someone in the mix there. I believe Pete. Talk to them. Talk to your Sunday school teacher. If you have struggles, talk to us. We are not a church that's going to take the Bible over your heads and go boop and knock you on the head. We are a church that wants you to grow, to know, and be a part of Jesus Christ. Amen? We want you that fellowship of grace. And yes, there are hard times where we need to run after sin and say, you know, brother, sister, I see you're here. I need you to go over here. There are times when that happens, but a church that is built around a certain hope knows that an affectionate love follows. Do you remember what we said before? Healthy church members want to get better at following Jesus. Notice I didn't put in there healthy church members are perfect followers of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of young people today um, struggle with that because they see the older folks in the church that are, have walks with the Lord for 50 years, and they say, I can never be like that. If you're a young person today, let me encourage you to stay the course. Let me encourage you to keep running after Jesus like you run after whatever you run after. Maybe you've been a saint here for many, many years. Does your love for Jesus grow more and more each day? Because he loves you more and more each day because God is love. What an amazing God we serve. Amen? If you're not a Christian here today, let me be very straightforward with you. The God in whose hand is your breath knows all your ways, and you have not honored him. Christ can't be, I can't present Jesus Christ to you like an ice cream with a cherry on top, that your life is good. You got your house, you got your car, you got your kids, you got the perfect suburban American dream, and you just need a little Jesus on the side. No. You must understand that all your achievements, non-Christian, before Christ are monuments of your own pride and your own vanity. Because a healthy church member seeks after Christ. A healthy church member knows Christ. And a healthy church member knows that you have to throw all that away. 
if God is a holy God and a just God, and He is, and we stand in His presence, then we have to have an absolutely perfect record to stand right there. You don't have that record, neither do I. And if you died today, non-Christian, and you were judged on your own merit, you would be stand wanting. Even if you took all the best people in the world and said, hey, come here, help me, help me weigh down the scale, God's going to weigh me. Wouldn't matter. For this reason, your sin had to be paid for. God cannot be just and forgive you. He's a God of justice. Before he can forgive you, justice must be satisfied. And the only way justice can be satisfied is if there's someone who dies in your place. We deserve death. Friends, we deserve the wrath of God. But God's son, Jesus Christ, became a man, lived a perfect life. And on that tree, he went to the cross. He bore every single sin that we have. And all the divine wrath, and friends, let me say this as, as, as nicely to you as I can today. A God who does not have wrath is not a God to be worshipped. A God who's not a just God is not a God that you want to follow. He's a God of your own making. And if you are here today, you have to know that God crushed His one and only Son. The word in the Hebrew literally means you take like a, like a pill and you crush it. And He crushed it so that we could have life eternal. And he rose again on the third day from the dead as a sign and seal of the payment fully received and satisfied. And what do you do now? I'm not going to tell you to repeat a prayer. There's no magical words you can say. But I will tell you what Jesus said when he first started his ministry. He said, repent, turn around, and believe the gospel. And friends, if you're not a Christian here today, can I tell you that Christ loves you so much. He gave his life for you. And that is what we build our church around. This church is going to have blemishes. It's going to have warts. It's going to have zits. And I have some of those. If you need them, I'll give you some. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're a church and we want to be affectionate love for one another, we want to have a passion to be a healthy church, it starts with remembering where you were with Jesus Christ. And friends, that was outside of grace. But praise God, he gave us Jesus Christ. Can you say with Paul this morning, I have an affection for you. I have you in my heart. You're in my heart, and I yearn for you. Is your yearning for this church to see a bigger building? Is your desire for a bigger building, more programs, more money, more whatever, greater than your desire to know Jesus Christ? I'm not going to say those are bad things, because we need those things. We need to tithe. We need to do those things. We need to seek after programs of people. But church member, can I ask you this morning, is your heart more set on what happens at Tower View than what you set before God on a daily basis? Is your pastor's heart more on those things? What an amazing God we serve. Friends, if there's anything we can do, it's this. No one who ever comes to Christ will ever be cast out. What an amazing God. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Father, it's always good when we, we have notes as a pastor, but it's also good because you often change those notes. Father, I thank you that this morning, we can come before you and ask your forgiveness for sin. Father, I come before you as an individual and ask for sin, and we pray for any sin in the congregation, Lord. Father, I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm in need of grace every day with my wife, with my kids, with, with my leadership. Father, and, and we need that day after day. But Father, I pray this morning, if there is a, a felt need here, here today, Lord, if there's someone who does not know Christ, that you would so work in their hearts. Thank you that it's a certain hope that we know you start it, you continue it, and you complete it, Lord. Father, thank you there's an affectionate love. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room who truly knows Christ, 
that as we grow as a church together, you would put that love in our hearts. Father, maybe there's some in here who need to seek forgiveness or receive forgiveness. Sometimes that's hard, Lord, to to take the, the pride down and actually accept forgiveness. Father, maybe there's others who need to go encourage. Maybe there's a word that you've given them that, that you really need to share. Father, maybe there's others who need to serve a physical need or, or share financially or in benevolence. Father, I don't know, but I, I pray that as we come from all walks of life, different walks of life, that the one thing at our center is you, Lord. Father, give us a hunger for you. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to love and show that appreciation one to another. Father, thank you for each of these church members. I know we've been blessed here just a month, and we, we know the heartbeat of this church. Fuel that flame, Father. Grow it. Thank you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name.